0: This This is the Second Second Story Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. This week's episode is coming to you two days before Chicago's Pride Parade as Pride Month nears its close. The celebration of pride here in the US began as a riot against violent oppression and has evolved into an explosion of joy. In this week's story, we want to celebrate the triumph as well as the ongoing fight for the safety and equity of the LGBTQ community. Join teller Kim L. Hunt as she shares a story not about coming out, but one about coming of age and coming into her own. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago in January 2023, Second Story is proud to present It's Me, Finally.
0: a few months shy of my 61st birthday. (laughs) And I've worked for racial justice and LGBTQ rights for decades. At this point in my life, I don't do much that I don't really want to do. But when I was asked to speak on two stages at last year's Chicago Pride Fest, I accepted. (laughs) Summer festivals are not my ministry. They remind me of August in my hometown of Kansas City, where the moment you step out of the house, the heat and humidity cradle you like a sweaty bosom. (laughs) I hate that kind of heat. And I would have bailed if I hadn't found free parking half a block from the last stage I'd be speaking on. As I was being jostled by the crowd of bouncy, nearly naked Gen Zers, on my way to the first stage, a version of interviewer's favorite question popped into my head. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell your teenage self? I know my teenage self would not care what yet another adult had to say about what she should do (laughs) with her life, but the question did make me reflect on my journey to today. I was a shy kid in a family of big personalities. Take my sister, for example. From birth, she talked to adults like she was one of them. As my grandmother would say, she could argue with a signpost. She had dance moves worthy of the Soul Train line and most egregious to me, she was loud, like Friday night card game loud all the time. Rhonda was my junior by 14 months but everyone assumed she was the oldest because I barely spoke above a whisper, had no rhythm, and could not sustain eye contact with anyone for more than a glance. I was so shy that well into my teenage years, Mrs. Thomas, our pastor's wife, would corner me at church, place two fingers under my chin, and force my head up until I was looking directly into her eyes. Then she'd say, hold your head up and speak. I know you have something to say. Bless her heart. (laughs) She was trying to help, but being forced to make eye contact in this way only made my face wet with hot tears. Plus, I had nothing to say. My shyness delayed my baptism until I was nearly 16, fairly late for someone who grew up in a Baptist church. It is not that I hadn't tried when I was younger. Years earlier during vacation Bible school, there had been an effort to prepare a cohort of preteens, including me, for baptism. One Sunday, just before the start of the school year, someone must have given a secret signal that I missed because when Reverend Thomas opened the doors of the church for those who want to be baptized, four or five of my Bible school church classmates left the pews, walked to the area in front of the pulpit, and I blindly followed. The minister was beside himself. The choir did an extra verse of amazing grace as we strolled down the aisle, and the deacons grabbed more chairs to handle the overflow of sinners ready to change their lives. We bowed our heads in reverence while the whole congregation prayed over us. And then everything was quiet with only our sniffles from the abundance of emotion breaking through the anxious stillness. Reverend Thomas started to my far left with Joel, the youngest son of one of the deacons. At 12, he was a charmer of the church girls and the grown ass women too. (laughs) My son, why do you want to be baptized being reverend thomas as he stood in front of joel joel raised his head to face the pastor and the congregation his tears still flowing in a crackling rush he said i'm ready to accept jesus christ as my lord and savior amen shouted reverend thomas the music started all over again and the church erupted into hallelujahs then the noise paused for the next request for salvation. My breath began to quicken as I realized that if I wanted to be baptized, I would have to speak in front of all these people. I began to feel the slow tickling journey of a sweat drop from my lower back right into the crack of my butt. The kid after Joel and all the way down the line gave some version of, I'm ready to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, followed by the roar of joy and praise. Congregation members probably assumed that my tears and bowed head were evidence that I was caught up in the Holy Spirit like them. (laughs) In fact, I was dying like a true introvert i was frantically trying to find a new combination of words that had the same meaning as the words that my bible school friend said i didn't want to be a copycat in my head people wouldn't believe i was for real if i used the same words as everyone else my child why do you want to be baptized asked reverend thomas (laughs) my soul nearly left my body how could it be my turn i needed more time I couldn't lift my head or speak. My mind was empty. My heart was fighting my lungs and that trickle of sweat became a river. My child, why do you wanna be baptized? He asked again. The pupils of the congregation's eyes were like BBs peppering my skin. I was hot, I was cold. There were no words waiting to tumble out of my mouth. I stood there, head bowed, heaving unstoppable tears, focused on the red carpet under my feet and feeling the heaviness of the very air as people waited for me to say something. Finally, Reverend Thomas said, Amen, amen. There's always room for those who are ready. As he moved on, (laughs) I'd blown it. A compassionate member of the motherboard whisked me away to the bathroom as my classmates were receiving the right hand of fellowship. She sat me in front of the mirror, handed me a box of tissue, and whispered in my ear, Baby, next time. All you have to say is, I'm ready to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. (laughs) Years later, I properly delivered my lines. I had no epiphany or calling, that just happened to be the day that I got tired of folks wondering when I was gonna be baptized. I still hated having all eyes on me, but, As a geeky teenager with nerdy friends, saying I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior was among the least of my worries. It wasn't just about church, though. My life is sprinkled with moments of extreme terror at the thought of speaking in public. Over time, I learned coping mechanisms. Have a few generic questions in your back pocket to make sure you have something to say during meetings. Over-prepare for presentations so you don't have to fumble for answers to questions no one's going to ask. For much of my life, that's what the teenager in me needed to feel safe. When I arrived behind the main stage at Belmont, I was told I'd be speaking just before a cupcake. Those words meant nothing to me. My attention was riveted on trans activist and house music connoisseur, DJ Dapper, who was jumping around the stage during his set in total control of the thousands of faces screaming the lyrics of every song in his playlist. I was amazed by how the crowd responded to everything he did. This went on for several minutes before someone from the crew told me to get ready because I was up next. A mic was shoved into my hand. I stepped onto the stage and I saw a sea of faces from Belmont all the way to Grace, still revved up from the set. And then I thought, oh shit, these drunk children don't wanna hear anything I have to say. I steadied my racing heart with a deep breath. Then I shouted into the mic, Happy bride, y'all! Happy Pride, the crowd roared back. The response felt like a current of energy rumbling from my feet, through my legs, up my spine and into the base of my brain where a switch was turned on. I began pacing the stage like I owned it and like I don't have arthritis in both
1: knees.
0: (laughs) They're coming after us, y'all, and it's going to take our collective energy and action to fight against this rising tide of hate. Yes, the crowd roared back. Oh, man, this feels good, I thought. (laughs) They're coming after trans youth with more anti-trans legislation than ever before and telling us it's out of love. Reproductive health rights are being obliterated, and they say, it's out of love. LGBTQ older adults feel like they have to go back into the closet to be housed in long-term care, and they say, it's out of love. They want to deny that we could ever really exist, and they say, it's out of love. Boo, screamed the crowd oppression is not love, racism is not love, sexism is not love, homophobia and transphobia are not love, I screamed back. (laughs) No, they shouted. Now, I'm really feeling myself. Stomping across the stage like Jay-Z performing Run This Town. This was just a few days after the Supreme Court essentially overturned Roe v. Wade. We had some shit to get off our collective chests. I want liberation for all people under the rainbow and beyond. We have the, we have the opportunity to show the world what love lives like. We love through our actions. That's right, people near the front yell. They're still with me. My inner teenager screamed in my head. We may not see the change we desire in our lifetimes, but we must commit to doing something that contributes to the liberation of all LGBTQ people. Now, let's keep this party going so that generations from now, all queer and trans people can party like this unapologetically every day of every month, everywhere. Yeah, the crowd went wild. Now this was church. I stood center stage, cool as a cucumber, letting their energy engulf me. I didn't drop the mic, but I could have. (laughs) The moment was so magical that I posed for a selfie with the crowd. One middle-aged black woman with thousands of jubilant, younger, mostly white faces in the background. As is appropriate for my age demographic, I posted the picture on Facebook. (laughs) I left the stage on a cloud and decided to stick around for a little bit of cupcake set. I was not ready. Here's a sampling of titles from this beautiful black goddesses catalog. Deep Throat, Orgasm. Cum Shot. And let me tell you, the children knew every song, every single word of every song. By about the fifth selection, I thought to myself, girl, you are way too old for this and I began to hobble to the second stage for my next performance. Along the way, several younger people stopped me to say things like, thank you for your work. Wow. (laughs) Who would have thought that this shy girl from Kansas City would one day speak before a crowd of thousands or speak on stages across the country? Thank you, Mrs. Thomas. Looks like I do have something to say.
1: This story was produced by RJ Silva and Ali Drum, curated by Jess Kadish, and directed by Elisa Vera Ramos. Music and sound design was by Nathan Kistler, with live recording engineered by Young Wu. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this This is the second Second
0: Story Podcast.